before last night teasing me. Someone told me that he had changed the reading that the tab was set to in the book of the Gospels. And I said, oh, don't worry. I've prepared three homilies for today and only two of them have to do with the Gospel. <laughs> All of a sudden, he turned white. <laughs> don't worry, I do have three homilies today but they're all short. In the first, I'd like to draw your attention to something that you probably glossed over as you listened to the gospel, and that is the very end. The last line is, exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. But what was the line right before it? The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Does that sound like good news? The last two masses, a little kid almost yelled, no! <laughs> and they were right. It doesn't. It sounds terrifying. But within it is contained good news. And that is that none of us is meant to be that chaff. None of us is meant to be burned in unquenchable fire. We are all called to be good wheat gathered into Christ's barn. We are all invited to belong to God's kingdom. And this is good news. This is what we celebrate today, Gaudete Sunday, the reason I'm wearing pink. And I like to call it pink. It's technically rose, but I just own it. It's pink. This is the first homily, though. There is a tension in this gospel. The good news is a real danger to those who reject Christ. But to all of us who are called, who have received the gospel and strive to live it, it is truly good news. Okay, the second homily. Now we go back to the first part of the gospel. We turn to focus on John the Baptist's counsel. The first time he's asked, what should we do? He gives advice that applies to everyone. Once your needs are met, use your material possessions to provide for the needs of others. Serve the poor with the things that you might want but don't really need. Demanding advice. But today I want to draw your attention especially to the advice that he gives to the tax collectors and to the soldiers. Now I think I've talked about it before and if I haven't, I'm, I, many others do. So you've probably heard that in ancient Israel, tax collectors were despised, looked down upon by everyone. They were rejected by the Jews because they were sellouts. Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. They were rejected by both Jews and Romans because they frequently collected more than the Roman government instructed them to collect in order to line their own pockets. And what, what advice does John give them? Don't collect more than you're supposed to. In simple terms, do your job justly. Don't manipulate the system to your benefit. 
accept the system as it is, and be virtuous within it. And then the soldiers. Today, when we think of soldiers, hopefully we think of people who voluntarily serve their country out of a spirit of patriotism. But this was not how it was in ancient Rome. In the Roman legion, sure, there were probably many, or at least some, Roman citizens who served as soldiers. But the vast majority of the Roman legion was made up of mercenaries, paid soldiers who didn't really care about Rome itself, but who worked for a paycheck merely as a job. And if they were unhappy with their wages, or if they needed a little extra money for the month, they would often go out and plunder a village because they wielded power. And to attack a Roman soldier, to defend oneself against such crimes, was to attack the Roman Empire. And so frequently, Roman soldiers plundered, and frequently they extorted others, and they frequently took advantage of their position and power to falsely accuse others of some crime so that once that person was arrested, the soldiers could go in and take the person's possessions. And what does John say to them? Stop all these practices. Even if they are a part of the culture of your profession, they are unjust. So stop them. Carry yourself with virtue within your profession, your state of life. How how might we apply John's advice today? If you work for hourly wages, work for the whole hour. Don't try to stretch out the work to make it take more time. Simply do the work assigned to you and accept the wages paid to you. If you bill hourly, a doctor or a lawyer or an electrician or a plumber or a mechanic or many other professions, don't fudge the numbers. Don't advise someone to hire you for work they don't really need. Don't recommend procedures or practices that are unnecessary or even immoral. Do the work, do your work, and accept the pay for for the work which you've done. I'm sure all of us can think of many other ways to apply John's counsel. Think of your own profession, your own work. This applies to, to those who stay in the home and raise children as well. Hold yourself accountable to doing your work well out of a desire to glorify God, out of a desire to serve justice. If you have employees, don't take advantage of them. Treat them with respect. Try to provide them with benefits to support their family. In short, do the work assigned to you. Fulfill your state in life with virtue. Don't simply accept the culture of your work if that culture is unjust. Okay, the final homily, my favorite of the three, the one that really emphasizes what we celebrate today. Our first reading today is taken from the prophet Zephaniah, a prophet 
who came just before uh, Jeremiah, who preached a little bit before the Babylonian exile, who served as a prophet during the reign of, the, of one of very few good kings in all of Jewish history. And he prophesies of Christ. He says these words, The Lord is in your midst, a mighty Savior. Okay, we've heard that theme a lot during Advent. But pay attention to the next words. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. My friends, I know that I talk about confession often, and the church talks about confession often. And in doing so, we have to talk about sin. But there is a need to talk about sin because it is from our sins that we are redeemed. But with that awareness, concurrent with that awareness, we have to also be aware of how radically God loves us. He will sing joyfully because of you. Zephaniah is not speaking about our joy, but God's joy. The joy that he takes from us. The delight that he finds in us. He looks at each one of us with great delight. Today, we celebrate Gaudete Sunday. We rejoice because we know that the Lord is coming. We rejoice because we know that we are redeemed. And God rejoices because we are his people. We are his own. How should that change our life? I think I've told you before about the book that I'm using for my own spiritual reading entitled Insinu Jesu, written by an Irish Benedictine monk who started hearing Christ speak to him in 2007. Today I'd like to read you a passage from that book in which he calls priests especially, but everyone, to spend time in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. My friends, the reason I offer this to you today is that if it's really true that we are called to love God, and if what Zephaniah says to us is true, that God will sing joyfully because he is in our midst, we owe it to him to enter his presence as often as we can. And there is no greater way to do this than to come to his presence in the Eucharist. Listen to what Christ said to this monk. I'm going to modify the words slightly so that it's clear that Christ is speaking to each one of us and not merely to this monk. I want you to come here to console me and to be for me a living flame of love. I am waiting for you here. My heart is yearning for your presence. I am here silent and still waiting for at least one soul to recognize my real presence and offer me the consolation of a visit, of an expression of adoration and of love. Who knows about the friendship I offer to all 
from the tabernacles where I dwell hidden and for the most part forgotten. My Eucharistic love is, un is unknown because so few of my priests have experienced it for themselves and because so few of them dare to make it known. This is the immense sorrow of my heart that this sacrament which I instituted in order to remain among my own until the end of time meets with indifference with coldness and with a cruel insens insensitivity even on the part of my priests many receive my body and blood few discern the mystery of my burning love concealed beneath sacramental veils. Holy Communion has become in so many places a routine act, a mere custom. This is why I ask for adoration of my Eucharistic face and for reparation to my Eucharistic heart. Adoration will hasten the change that I desire and that I will bring about in my church. My brothers and sisters, we are called to rejoice because God has redeemed us. And we are invited into his presence that he might rejoice in us. As often as you are able, visit him in the Eucharist. Visit him in the tabernacle. If the church is locked, at least greet him from outside. And if the church is consistently locked at the only times that you are able to visit him, ask us, your priests, to unlock it. He is here for you. Come and visit him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.